0: XCBM.net.
2: Hi, curious minds out there in our ever expanding radio land. Welcome to CC with BB. Connecting with coincidence with Dr. Bernie Biteman MD. That's me. This is the only radio show in the world dedicated to the study of coincidences, synchronicity, and serendipity. We are coming to you through the auspices of the X-Zone Broadcast Network, located in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and broadcasting all over the world. One of the most important questions for modern science and all humanity is the relationship between mind and brain. Does brain produce consciousness or does the greater consciousness produce the brain? How do mind and brain interact with each other? I am a psychiatrist. I study this question in my office. I help people with medications and with psychotherapy. I work in both the brain and the mind. You need your mind to recognize a coincidence and your brain to talk about it. Synchronicity spoken here. Coincidences alert us to the mysterious hiding in plain sight. In other words, coincidences alert us to possible causal connections not recognized by modern science. The phrase, quote, connecting with coincidence, end quote, is my coincidence brand. It is the the name of my book, my Psychology Today blog, my website, and my social media sites. To find them, please put connecting with coincidence in your search engine. Would you like to know how sensitive you are to coincidences? Take the weird coincidence survey on my website. I want to introduce a new term to you today, coincidentiality. Coincidentality means the predisposition to create and to see coincidences. For example, talking about coincidences on a regular basis increases coincidentiality. That means that this radio show should be connected with an increase in coincidence, and so it is. Before last week's show with Alexis Brooks, uh, Alexis described thinking of the producers of the movie *Time Is Art*, synchronicity, and the collective mo- and the collective dream. The producers had contacted her six months ago, and then. She had forgotten about them, but then she started thinking about them again. And as she prepared for my show, uh, she selected one of the interviews uh, just to get an idea about what was going on on the show. And she picked the one show that involved the central character to that movie that she had been thinking about. And that got her to contact the people, the producers in New York. She really enjoyed thinking about the show about the, about the movie and then finding it on my website. During the break, uh, during her interview, she mentioned an online group that she thought I might be interested in with uh, a person named Jeff Mishlove. Did I know him, she asked. Yes, Jeff is on the program right now with us this week. And then a couple of days ago, before speaking with Jeff today, I received an email from Brendan Engen with whom Jeff had had an outstanding coincidence more than 10 years ago. So here our guest today is involved with two out of three coincidences in the past week that were directly related to the show. Jeff is quite a, person, quite a man, and is interest in, interest in a variety of topics, which include what I'm interested in today, possibly, is the relationship between parapsychology, particularly, particularly psi, and synchronicity. Jeff is the host, was the host, of New Thinking Allowed, and the uh, author of The Roots of, Co- of Consciousness, Psy Development Systems, and The PK Man. Between nineteen eighty six and two thousand two, he hosted and co-produced the original program called Thinking Aloud on Public Television. That's quite a run. He's the recipient of the only doctoral diploma in parapsychology ever awarded by an accredited, accredited university, the University of California, Berkeley in nineteen eighty. He is also past president of the nonprofit intuition network. An organization dedicated to creating a world in which all people are encouraged to cultivate and apply their inner intuitive abilities. And one of the things that coincidences are intended to help people do is just what the intuition network is intending to have happen. Coincidences are another way to be able to help people tune in and cultivate their own intuitive experiences. Jeff, welcome to the program and uh, very glad to have you on here and, and we will be Cutting to a break in just a few minutes, so I just want a few seconds. I just want to be able to say hi to you, and that I look forward to talking with you about uh, your parapsychological interests, and particularly synchronicity and psi. Could you just in the in the next couple of seconds, could you talk about uh, how you got interested in coincidences? Uh, I think you talked about. You mentioned that uh, there was a series of them that led you to uh, being interested in parapsychology and the media.
3: Hi, Ernie. Uh, thank you for uh, that lovely introduction. And yes, I think it's fair to say that my career in parapsychology has largely been guided by coincidences. Been and a- and, le- and let's
2: stop. Let's stop. Let's stop right there for this next break. I'm sorry for the cut this way, but that's that's where I want to go in our next segment, Jeff. Thank you. Okay.
0: This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media.
5: With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night.
2: Welcome back to CC with BB, the only radio show in the world dedicated to the study and discussion of coincidences. Our guest today is Jeff Mishlov, and we are beginning to talk about how Jeff got involved in both the media and parapsychology using coincidences and how coincidences continue to guide him in his career. Please, let's get right into that, Jeff.
3: Oh, okay. Well, let's start back in 1972. At at that time, I was a graduate student at Berkeley in criminology. I was uh, doing field work at San Quentin prison and taking a close look at the dark side of human nature, doing, in fact, psychotherapy with murderers and rapists. And I desperately wanted to switch. I wanted to study positive forms of human deviance, not negative. But as you may know, in universities across North America, it's much, much easier to study psychopathology and crime than it is to study creativity, intuition, and especially synchronicity and psychic functioning. So Yes,
2: yes, 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 yes.
3: I I agonized for months and months about that. And one day, I knew that the answer was going to come to me in a dream. And uh, so I uh, had that dream that night uh, in which I was visiting some friends who lived in Berkeley and knocked on their apartment door. In the dream, there was no answer. And in the dream, I knew where they kept the key. So I took the key, opened the door walked into their living room and found in my dream a magazine sitting on the middle of their living room floor. And in the dream, the magazine was called I, E-Y-E. So at that moment, I woke up from the dream with this feeling of exhilaration, Eureka, I have the answer, but I hadn't a clue as to what the answer really meant. So I actually acted out the dream. I Uh, put on my tennis shoes, ran across town to uh, five miles to this apartment, knocked on the door, and nobody was there. And it just so happened I did know where they kept their key. So I found the key under the doormat, let myself in, walked into the living room, and in the middle of the living room floor was sitting a magazine named Focus. (laughs) magazine literally brought focus to my life at that point, because it was the magazine of the local listener-sponsored radio and television, KQED, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And at that moment, even though I didn't own a radio or TV, in fact, I was a long-haired hippie who didn't believe in that electronic communication was at all authentic, I changed my mind and decided to get involved. And I went down to KPFA radio in Berkeley. And even though I had my master's degree at that point in criminology, I said, I'm here to volunteer. And they gave me a little job sitting at the front desk. And they said, when you hear the doorbell ring, push this buzzer and let people in the front door. And uh, that honestly changed my whole life, because in three weeks, I had learned how to produce radio programs, as you're doing now, and I was given my own regular program twice a week called The Mind's Ear, and I found myself all of a sudden sitting across a table with world-class experts, everyone passing through the San Francisco Bay Area who had written a book on consciousness, and 10,000 people listening in, so I made a decision at that point that I had the resources to begin to create for myself an individual, interdisciplinary, doctoral major in parapsychology. And ever since then, I've had this feeling that when you resolve to reach an for your highest potential to become the best person that you can become, the universe reaches back to help you. And uh, that's how I see synchronicities. It's sort of an intelligence coming from the universe itself.
2: Uh, There's a few few other elements to this is your own cleverness uh, in uh, several aspects of what you described. Uh, The sense that you um, knew you would have a dream that would guide you, uh, that then you had I that it became focus, which certainly are related to each other. Yeah. Uh, and then you decided to act out the dream. I mean, not a lot of not most people aren't going to do that. And then you went over to the house to find that focus. And then somehow you went over to KPFA and volunteered. And there's a step that I didn't get there is how that you went from pushing the button to having a radio program.
3: Well, I, I uh, learned how to produce uh, programs, uh, and I produced one. I produced a, a program about psychics in uh, in the Bay Area that you didn't have to be from out of town to have psychic abilities. And that, that little program went over so well that the program director came up to me uh, the next day and said, we have a slot available for you twice a week. Would you take it? and
2: oh it's that that little pro- well that that's pretty funny uh i i went to um I was at Stanford for my residency uh, from mm-hmm. about 1969 to 74 uh, with two years at the U.S. Public Health Service Hospital in San Francisco. So I like to think that I went to the University of Haight-Ashbury.
3: Uh, <laughs> we, we probably rubbed shoulders.
2: <laughs> it was a very good education. So I can imagine some of the people I ran into might have been on that uh, original radio program of yours. Indeed. Indeed. Well, it the universe provides, but you, um, you had a need. And one of the key elements of producing coincidences is need. And you wanted to get out of San Quentin. Uh, and you wanted to get yeah. on the other, the other side of negative. Uh, yeah. and that, and, but I admire that you desi- decided to act out the dream. Uh, that's not something most people would do. Uh, and I
3: don't even think of it as a decision. It's as if I woke up and just knew what to do.
2: And, yeah, and that's where, so that's where you have, early on, uh, were tuned into your own intuition and could see how that could be a guide rather than relying on rationality all the time.
3: Well, I think that a, a real important part of that process is yes. actually the fact that I agonized for months before I reached the point where everything was ready to pop
2: yeah 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 and maybe this is uh this kind of question I like to ask is how did you how do you, can you think of an explanatory mechanism about how your agonizing that reached a point to pop help create the dream that led you to your career?
3: well, you know it's a sort of a physiological process in a way if you want to really relax. Uh, For example, the uh, Jacobson relaxation process, a a good way to relax is to tighten up your muscles and tighten them and tighten them and tighten them and then relax rather than just to say, okay, I'm going to relax now. And I, I think that it's that sort of a process, maybe at a, a, a spiritual or psychological level, that helped to trigger that very important synchronicity that changed my life.
2: Yeah, somebody told me um, that one of the best things you can do is go to extremes of yin and yang, mm-hmm. and that's a descriptor you just applied to both muscles and to uh, spiritual development. I, I think you, I think you've got something there, very much so.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh. How about any other ones after that? I mean, you you had a very long running uh, program. I love the name of that program of yours, "Thinking Aloud," uh, mm-hmm. that we able to say the thoughts that maybe we're not allowed to say. Um, usually but we can now on this tv on, on this tv program and it's also it's uh, we're, we're we're allowed to do it here it's a wonderful um uh, play on words so you've done something right and there were some other coincidences that got you uh in your career could you tell us some of the other ones please
3: well uh an, another coincidence that sort of prompted me early on uh, back in the early 1970s, I had a very, very powerful dream once again uh, about a great uncle of mine, Uncle Harry, whom I hadn't thought about or seen for over a decade. And he came to me in this dream and began talking to me in a very deep way about my life. In fact, using some of the Chinese symbols, actually, the yin-yang. And when I woke up from that dream... I was crying and singing at the same time, Uh, singing actually a very sacred song that I had. I don't know how it just popped into my mind, but for your listeners who are Jewish, the song was Avinu Malkeinu, which is... Avinu
2: Malkeinu. Yeah. Ah, Avinu vananein. Yes, it's a beautiful song.
3: It's a beautiful song, and I was just... Only once in my life have I ever awakened singing and crying like that at the same time. So I wrote home and I asked my parents, how's Uncle Harry? I had a dream about him. My mother called me up immediately and said, how did you know Uncle Harry had just died? Well, that, that sort of shook me. And I asked uh, if I could be, uh, have an item that belonged to him, something I could have to remember him by, and my Aunt Jeanette sent me a little book. Um, it was a Yiddish book. It took me a while to get it translated, and I was told this is Uncle Harry's favorite book. Well, it turned out to be a book called The Tales of the Baal Shem Tov. It was about Jewish mysticism and the Hasidic tradition. And Martin I- Buber.
2: Uh it was written by Martin Buber. Yes, I know that book.
3: Well, this was the Yiddish version and ah. and uh the what I I didn't realize is that my great uncle Harry had been a mystic his whole life, but he kept it hidden from everybody. We just thought of him as a pious old man, not a uh person involved in Jewish mysticism. So that that sort of awakened something in me as well.
2: Ah uh, yes uh this uh getting a message somehow that um, uh, someone that you're close to has died uh, is became a fairly common theme in in my uh, research here i had a an experience in San francisco um, in nineteen seventy three um, of uh, experiencing. Uh, Of choking uncontrollably and finding out the next day that my father had choked on his own blood and died. That's the old definition of telepathy, Mm -hmm. Um, feeling uh, at a distance. Uh, It's become more cognitive. So I invented the term simulpatity uh, to cover this old uh, definition of telepathy in a new way. I like that. Thank you. Uh, thank you. And what you what you did and it includes uh, like some apparitions. Uh, uh, people uh, when people die and apparitions sometimes appear to mm-hmm. a loved one and say and and say goodbye or something like that. And that's what you had. So you got you've got taught by Uncle Harry that there's more going on in the world uh, than what you found at San Quentin or any other place that you'd been before. Well, that
3: experience really shook me up. And and I began because I was uh, at at that time volunteering in the psychology department at Berkeley. Uh, I went to my professors and and began asking them, what can you tell me about this experience? Yeah. I quickly learned that they had nothing whatsoever intelligent to say about it, and that made me resolve that if, if I was going to understand what was an experience that shook me to my bones, I was going to have to become my own expert. I couldn't uh, rely on other people to do it for me.
2: Beautiful. That is beautiful. Beautiful. So we are coming to the end of this segment, and we will continue with Jeff Mishlov in our next segment talking about some really cool stuff. Welcome back to CC with BB, Connecting with Coincidence with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. That's me. And our guest today is Jeff Mishlov with some wonderful experiences and coincidences that helped to propel him into a career in parapsychology and related areas. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you
4: would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage.
2: Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Jeff, that's uh, some very good stories, and you had to figure it out yourself. And really, that's what happened to me, too. I, this, Hey, man, there's some weird stuff going on out here, I would notice. Uh, when Starting when I was nine and I found my lost dog by accident or coincidence and my father and the choking and a lot of other things, nobody was telling me about it. And then I started looking around myself and came across Jung, et cetera. But you somehow put it all together to get yourself a degree from Berkeley. Could you tell us how you did that?
3: Well... Um, there was a program at the time that if you were a graduate student in good standing, which I was, i just gotten my master's degree in criminology, and you wanted to work in an interdisciplinary area where no single department would uh, sponsor your work, but you could find professors in different departments who would all agree To do that, then you could go to the graduate division and and create an individual degree. And so I went through that process. I found a handful of professors who were willing to uh, sponsor me in parapsychology and and set it up. And the sad thing is that after I got my degree in parapsychology, seven years later, after a lot of hard work and many obstacles, put in my way. uh, The university, I think, was so uh, embarrassed by the publicity that resulted that they canceled the whole individual interdisciplinary doctoral program, and it was unavailable for decades. I think they finally reinstituted it, but uh, they they made it really, really hard for people to uh, follow me after that happened. And as a result, now we're more than 35 years later, and I'm still the only person in the world with a doctoral diploma from an accredited university that says parapsychology on it, which is very sad to me. It's it's one of the reasons that I set up the new Thinking Allowed uh, video series now, because I expect that someday in the future, there are going to be uh, widespread educational opportunities in this field. And I'm hopeful that the, the video interviews that I conduct will become an important resource when that day arrives.
2: Could you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of the, your, your
3: videos? You can go to www.NewThinkingAloud. It's all one word, and allowed is A-L-L-O-W-E-D dot com. And uh, that's the video channel. There are over 200 uh, interviews uh, that have been posted, and two interviews, uh, get, new ones, get put up every week. Wow.
2: Wow, you're still pretty active with that. Uh, I, I am hoping or intending and intending to create uh, a new discipline uh, that could be in universities that would be transdisciplinary. I call it coincidence studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'm I'm working, beginning to work on a on a textbook for such a, uh, a field of study, it's an introductory textbook for it. So it it it, it needs to happen, and uh, somehow I hope that you and I can figure out ways to marshal support to create. Uh, new discipline, a new discipline, whatever we call it, uh, that begins to address these subjects that uh, universities just aren't paying attention to, but are real-life experiences for us chickens walking around here on Earth.
3: I'm happy to work with you on that, Bernie.
2: All right, good. You've worked with me already by telling me that's kind of what you have in mind anyway. So having a shared vision is a a big help. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's go. Let's let's go to let's go. Pretend like we're in the classroom here, and uh, we got a bunch of students out there, and uh, and we are talking about one of the um, conundrums in coincidence studies, which is the relationship uh, between um, synchronicity and um, psi, psi and telepathy. Clairvoyance and precognition. Uh, how do you th- Jung mix the two of them up regularly? Often including, sometimes including um, precognition and telepathy as part of synchronicity, and some Jungians uh, not including uh, those uh, psi events, but staying more with coincidences that help people individuate that were psychologically helpful to them. So, where what is your thinking about the relationship between the synchronicity and psi?
3: Well, you know, parapsychology in its modern form originated with J.B. Rhine at Duke University, and he popularized the term extrasensory perception, which implies a, a an information channel uh, going from uh, across space and time so that people have these telepathy or clairvoyant experiences. The problem is we've never been able to find any information channel. It's uh, uh, it's certainly not in the electromagnetic spectrum, and uh, nobody has any idea how that works. So uh, people have begun to theorize that maybe it's not a question of information traveling from one location to another at all. Maybe something different is involved, a completely different model. And uh, that's what synchronicity uh, offers as, as as an alternative to people in parapsychology. So I, I would say that many parapsychologists uh use these terms interchangeably. It's almost like the um, wave-particle duality that uh, we see in quantum physics, that some psychic events seem to be an, uh, a, a, a like mental radio, an information transmission model, and others seem to be more synchronistic, but it's actually almost impossible to tell them apart.
2: I... Um... I am of the uh, information transfer um, uh, way of thinking simply because the term synchronicity among many others is are, is so vague so that synchronicity uh, is undefined or is not well defined but one of the key elements of synchronicity that I keep reading is archetypes as part of the activation or constellation of archetypes as central to um, synchronicity, let's say, explanatory. I won't use mechanism, but it's, it looks kind of mechanistic sometimes. So what's your view of archetype synchronicity and telepathy clairvoyance precognition?
3: Well, I, I guess, as you know, I wrote this paper with Brendan Engen called Archetypal Synchronistic Resonance. Yes. Uh, Because Brendan and I, who I had never met at the time, had a series of coincidences uh, that we shared, and they were related to the idea that I had been uh, an ancient Roman philosopher named Seneca in a past lifetime, and uh, Brendan had a psychic reading from a a channeler who said that he knew Seneca in this past lifetime, and would he like to meet him today, and The the channeler said Jeffrey Mishlove is the person who was this ancient philosopher, and so I got an email from Brendan telling me all of this, and the synchronicity is that the day that email arrived, I was traveling in Spain on my way to visit the city of Córdoba, which is the city where Seneca was born. And uh, many other synchronicities pass between us. And so Brendan asked me, well, do you think you were Seneca? And I said, I have no reason to think that I was Seneca. I think what's going on is uh, uh, something I would call archetypal synchronistic resonance. And he said, gee, you ought to write that up. And I said to him, well, we could write it together. And that's how our paper Emerged, And it dawned on me that it, it's another way of thinking about uh, what some people uh, would call reincarnation.
2: Wow. I would, I, I know it's, I, how do you get to reincarnation from um, the coincidence you just described?
3: But, well, now, the, many people, who, for example, have past life uh, regression. Yeah. And will... <clears throat> In a past life hypnotic session, they will come up with an elaborate story of having lived a past lifetime, and then uh, to reinforce that story, if it has a lot of—I I would use the term—numinosity to it, something uh, you know spiritually attractive. Well, then that becomes a, a constellation that generates synchronicities that seem to reinforce the story itself. Now, it doesn't mean. That those past lives are real past lives. Uh, Parapsychologists who look at uh, past life research tend to do it differently. They look at young children who, almost as soon as they can speak, begin talking about having had a past lifetime. And uh, oftentimes, those children are born with, for example, birthmarks that correspond to the death wounds of the past lives that they seem to remember. And I I would say that's much stronger evidence for what we might really think about is reincarnation. But there is a class of events uh, that are more synchronistic in nature. And I, I guess what you might say is they simulate reincarnation, but might not actually be so. And in in my case, you know, when I've had different psychics tell me you were Seneca in a past lifetime or you were William James in a past lifetime, maybe it's just me, but I can't I don't have any memory of having been those people. So I'm inclined to think that something else is going on and and what that might be is an archetypal synchronistic resonance because the very notion of rebirth or reincarnation is itself an archetype oh yeah
2: uh, oh yeah um, it's an archetype but how does how does its activation get so specific
3: well there, there that's a mystery and I I can't really answer that entirely, but I I guess it's fair to say that uh, there's a realm, and I call it the realm of mythos, the realm of archetypes, the realm of of mythological entities, and uh, a lot of things are generated from that realm. You know, the mystics of every culture would tell you that we are all one at the level of consciousness, Bernie. You and I share one consciousness, and yet we have separate bodies. So it's kind of a mystery. How is it that we are all one and yet we seem to be, as Alan Watts said, skin encapsulated egos, uh, each one separate, we have an inside and an outside. And I think this realm of mythos, this synchronistic archetypal connections is, is what links the individual separate human being to the realm of oneness.
2: Now, I, I'm, I, think there's, I think you're right about there being a oneness. Uh, and what I'm interested in is taking apart the oneness and seeing what it's composed of. And for you, uh, archetypes are the major component of this oneness. Is that right?
3: Well, I, I think I would say they are the link between the realm where everything is united, everything is one, and the realm where everything is separate.
2: And that somehow these archetypes are activated or constellated under certain conditions. And what do you think made the, the archetype of rebirth, specifically Seneca, uh, happen between uh, you and Brendan?
3: Well, I, I can tell you how it all started because uh, I have the whole thing captured. I, I,
2: I, I made a mistake here again. We're getting right near the end and I don't want to cut you off when you are telling the full story. So we're going to come back and talk about you and Brendan and how this archetype seemed to have gotten activated. Okay.
4: this product is a real winner. To learn more about One Two Three Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net.
0: This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network.
2: Welcome back to CC with BB, the only radio show in the world dedicated to the study of synchronicity, coincidences, and serendipity. Our guest is Jeff Mishlov, and we are deeply into archetypes and synchronicity with a story he's telling about uh, a colleague of his, Brendan Engen. Please continue,
3: Jeff. Okay. Well, this uh, story began actually long before I ever met Brendan I did a TV interview for the Thinking, the Original Thinking Aloud" series with Dr. Martin Rossman, who was an expert in hypnosis, and he actually demonstrated on me a hypnotic process which we captured on video, in which I was to go into a trance state and get in touch with what he called your inner healing advisor." He said it could be anything. it might turn out to be a chipmunk or an animal. And so I'm in this hypnotic state, and he's explaining it. And then I have on video, I come out of the hypnotic state with this silly grin on my face, like, wow, something just happened. And he asked me, well, what was it? And I said, well, a figure appeared to me. He was wearing a toga. And I thought, oh, good, this must be Demosthenes, the great Greek orator. And that'll help me practice my speaking ability, which I thought I'd like to work on. So I said to the character in my uh, hypnotic vision, hello, Demosthenes. And he said to me, I'm not Demosthenes. I said, well, who are you? He said, I'm Seneca. And I said to him, well, Seneca, since you're here, what would you like me to do? And he said, study my life. Study my life. That it came out like that. And, and I came out of the trance and it felt like, my gosh, that was real. I I wanted Demosthenes, but he insisted he was Seneca. So I began studying the life of Seneca, and I learned, he's one of the most remarkable people in history, frankly, but one of the interesting things about him uh, is that he was ordered to commit suicide by his um, emperor, the emperor Nero, who had been his student. And Nero became jealous of Seneca and had a centurion come in to Seneca's home when he was having a dinner party and tell him, right then and there, the emperor wants you to take your own life. And Seneca said to him, well, can't I at least make out my last will and testament? And the centurion said, no. So Seneca turned to his dinner guests and he said to them, all I can bequeath to you is my life. Study my life. Those were his last words.
2: And you came up with that phrase as you came out of that hypnotic regression. Yeah, that that was that is that was most amazing. Uh, that's most amazing. And I'm, as I listen to you tell me, is somehow you were resonating with the archetype of Seneca.
3: Exactly. Yes. So I, I was aware of that, that I had this synchronistic connection with with Seneca. And then when Brendan contacted me many years later, just as I was about to visit the town where Seneca was born in Spain, um, there were other synchronicities that occurred. For example, many years earlier, when I was doing my radio work, I interviewed a, a man named uh, Nahum Stiskin who had written a book called The Looking Glass God about Taoism in Japan. And I um, i don't know whatever became of that book, but Brendan was visiting a bookstore in Walnut Creek, California, some miles away from any place I had ever lived. And he ended up finding that book and buying it. And when he opened the book up, it had my signature in it, it had been my copy of that book.
2: And how do you think that happened?
3: Well, found that book. I, I, all I can say is once again synchronicity because it happened within uh, just a matter of days uh, from the time he first contacted me.
2: Well, I call it human GPS, human geospatial. Um, uh, system capacity that uh, we have in us. Uh, remember Rex Stanford and um, oh yes, uh, and his work with um, with uh, PMIR, psi-mediated instrumental responses. Yes. And uh, somehow you, you subconsciously, intuitively, we make decisions that lead us to places that we. Need to go or need to avoid, mm-hmm. and and I have used the word uh, uh, I use the human GPS as kind of a simpler way of and more technologically familiar way of thinking about it that that Brendan was so um, keyed up uh, or activated or whatever word you want to use constellated I want to use uh, with about his connection with you that uh, he was able to find his way to this this buzzing. Um, energy packed book that he he was tuned into because he was resonating with you.
3: That's a good way to to look at it. Yeah.
2: Well, this is this is what I keep trying to do is take the ideas out of out outer space and mm-hmm. i'm going to ask you this question about our our possible uh course or, or department um, in mm-hmm. coincidence studies is um the it's the word synchronicity because the word synchronicity you have been using in two ways um, primarily you've been using it as an explanatory model involving archetypes mm-hmm. but the, but the word synchronicity is also used uh, f- more often used as a, a, a as meaningful coincidences, to mean meaningful coincidences. So here we have a word, one word, synchronicity, that both defi- d- defines or labels the phenomenon and is also the word that explains it. This is self-reflective recursive, and you can get lost in the word by having these two definitions. So I am proposing that synchronicity be used as an explanation for meaningful coincidences and that be it be slowly pulled away from the its use as meaningful coincidences themselves because the it synchronicity means so many different kinds of coincidences
3: well yes I I, I like uh, the direction you're going there I think the there there's an incredibly complex web of, of ways of Thinking about it because it has to do with the fundamental nature of time and space itself. And I think that as a culture, there are many things about time and space that we have yet to explore. So we're often at a loss for good language to explain how these things occur. Yes, and
2: because we have been at a loss and Jung was at a loss um, wandering into this area uh, or these areas he used the same word to, disc- to for two different related but certainly two very different things an explanation versus description and using the same word for both is confusing for anyone trying to study them study the whole thing but I see why he did it as mm-hmm. you are saying it, it's a confusing area to run into but I think for, for academic purposes For even scientific purposes, trying to figure out synchronicity, we should separate the description from the explanation. I like that. Good. It's not going to be easy to make that happen, but with our students, we can make sure that they answer that test question right. (laughs) Let's let's go. Let's let's end our our discussion today with Ted Owens, so the PK man. Uh, who was Ted Owens? What is PK, and what did, what did he accomplish?
3: Well, uh, Ted Owens called himself the PK man, and I did research with him from 1976 until his death in 1987. And he believed that he was uh, in contact with alien beings, invisible alien beings. He called them the space intelligences, and by working through them, he was able to produce over 160 demonstrations that I have records of, and typically they involved large-scale events, power blackouts, UFO sightings, cold spells, heat waves, volcanic activity, earthquakes, and he would send letters to scientists uh, saying, I, the great PK man, am about to produce this event and is a demonstration of my powers to you. And then he would send them newspaper clippings showing that these events occurred after he made the uh, statement of his intention to cause these events Uh he regarded himself as the most powerful person with these abilities since the days of Moses. And, uh... <laughs> uh, John Lilly called
2: uh, maybe the same intelligence as the Earth Coincidence Control Office. Yeah, uh, the idea of there being intelligences out there to be communicating with, uh, I think is the kind of breakdown of the we're all one thing that I'm interested in because mm-hmm. I, I think there are these, uh, I think of them as a uh, jellyfish like floating in the sea of consciousness, they're kind of congealed, uh, intelligences which we can have contact with the way Ted Owens was having contact, it seems. Mm-hmm. My question for you, though, with Ted, how what, how do you know it wasn't precognition uh, instead of PK, psychokinetic?
3: But, you know, it's very hard to tease them apart. And that's one of the reasons parapsychologists like to refer to all of these abilities simply as psi. But in Ted Owens' case, some events seem very much like psychokinesis because he one of the things that he... Could uh, do is he would point his finger and cause lightning to strike. Just no, that's
2: a good trick. Point. I mean, Babe Ruth could do it with a bat. That that's a yeah. good trick. That's a good trick. Wow. Now, you could still say he's tuned into the events around him and could feel when the lightning was going to happen, but that's a low, lower probability. Well,
3: there is a case that I have on in my files, and I've interviewed the witness, an, an attorney from Philadelphia named Sidney Margulies, and Ted Owens was working in his law. We've got
2: about we've got about 20 seconds, I'm sorry.
3: Uh, all right. Well, Margulies told him where to make the lightning strike, and then he did.
2: Oh, now, that is good. Yeah. That is good. Um, he was able to that be, to be able to be that specific and being able to say what's going to happen when is an amazing capacity. So you became convinced that he could channel the efforts of that intelligence. Thank you very much, Jeff, for being on the program. It's been a delight talking with you. I hope we can talk again.
3: Likewise. Thank you.